Hello and welcome to the Conscious Diva podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Tatiana Wright and joining me today is recording artist and Kirtan Wali, Nina Rao. Nina is also Krishna Dasa's longtime accompanist and manager. Since the release of her first album in 2013, she has emerged as a prominent presence in the world of spiritual and new age music. Nina regularly leads kirtan, workshops, and retreats in her hometown of Brooklyn, New York, and beyond. But for now, everything is online. Today, we are talking about conscious and sacred music and how music can assist in the most challenging moments of life. Welcome, Nina. Thank you, Tatiana. Nice to be with you. Thank you. It is wonderful to have you here and to chat. So the first question, what is a kirtan wali? <laughs> okay, so we could break up that word into two parts. So a wali is the feminine aspect of wala. And it's usually the, uh, it's um, a term that's used for a person who is doing a particular thing. So you could be a... Um, uh, you could be a shoe repairer and, you know, there would be a name for that and it would be a wala. Mm. Um, so in the same way here, we're doing, I'm the wali because I'm the woman who's doing this. And what are we doing? We're chanting kirtan, kirtan, which is call and response, chanting of the divine name specifically is what kirtan means, but it also means any kind of devotional chanting actually. And, you know, with, on the point of Wali, when you're in India, you regularly hear people call out, Chaiwala, Chaiwala. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Chaiwala. <laughs> I was trying to find the right Wala. <laughs> yes. That's probably the most commonly heard one, right, when we're in India. Yes. Everybody yes. wants their chai. <laughs> yeah, and as I, I remember growing up and, you know, the vegetables would come, the guy would come by and be Sabjiwala. Sabji means vegetable and he would have a cart you must have seen it when you were on the roads there they have their carts with wheels and they walk around with vegetables and fruit like that yeah cool and yeah. so that now i know that, that we'll come back to the greater meaning and the practice of kirtan but just up front i wanted you to explain a couple of quick things like what are bhajans bhajans are devotional songs um they're different from kirtan in that they're not call and response uh, mostly everyone will sing together in a group and there'll be a little story, like if you were singing a Krishna bhajan, there might be something specific about one of the stories from the leelas of Krishna, like he's gone mm -hmm. down to the river and he's stolen the clothes of the gopis, or, you know, Krishna has run out and all the gopis have come to steal the butter. You know, there are lots of little stories like that that come out of the sacred leelas. So mm -hmm. a bhajan would tell that story and it would be to music with melody. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and well, that is different to um, the ragas. Raga technically means color, actually. So it's almost like the color of sound. And all of Indian classical music is based on raga. And there are various types of classical music. There's the Carnatic music, which is an older form of Indian classical music where um, there's a particular structure and it's repeated and then it evolved into the form that we see often called Hindustani classical music where there's a lot of improvisation. Uh, you know, none of this music is written as it is here in the West. It's all orally passed down from teacher to student and there is room for improvising. And the music could be, the instrument could be the voice, the instrument could be any of the multifarious stringed instruments like veena, um, sarangi, which is a bowed instrument, beautiful bowed instrument, could be sitar, 
could be sarod. These are stringed instruments. Um, and nowadays also there are these cool, uh, there's a young fellow who's turned a mandolin into an Indian classical instrument. So there's so much room for creativity in the music. And the ragas also apply to particular times of the day. So there are morning ragas, afternoon ragas, evening, night ragas as well. And you'll find that a lot of the devotional music in India is based upon those ragas as well. But if you were listening to purely classical music, you would see, you would see the presentation as maybe an opening into the raga, which they call alap, and where the presentation, the performer would be leading you in by an exploration of the use of the combination of the notes or the scales that they would be using that would be depicting the time of day for example, or the mood. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then you move into it and then they explore further. You feel the body of the raga and then, you know, it's it's really actually an interactive process. Even though you're not singing with the musician, you're listening and providing feedback, you know, in the way of, wow. And, you know, there's a lot of commentary that happens if you watch an Indian classical concert, which is so different from the West where, you know, you got to be really quiet and clap at the right times. So it's different. Here it's more like a party. So the the devotional music, a lot of it is based on those traditional ragas as well, but they're simplified in a way that people can sing along. Uh, thank you for that explanation. I actually I didn't know that, didn't know the difference, and I didn't know that um, raga the ragas meant color. That's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah, because there's so much, literally, your imagination can run with it and you can experience it on so many mm -hmm. different levels. So that's a beautiful yeah. definition. And yeah. and just quickly coming back to, I mean, Kitamoli, it it's also can be defined almost as a devotional singer, in a sense, for the, I guess, for Western purposes, the, the, a Western understanding. Yes. Yes, that would be a, a quick, short definition. Kirtan is devotional music, so yes, devotional singing. Yeah. And I remember when we first spoke, which was about four or five years ago now, when I first interviewed you for a show I was producing, and you had told me you had this wonderful experience as a child with your grandfather, uh, but to come back to your roots was really beautiful. And I'd love you to share that if you don't mind. Yeah. So I grew up in a family where we traveled all around the world. My father's job was such. Um, and I was actually born in Queens, in New York. Um, but I, we did go back to India frequently uh, for vacation or for certain times of our uh, school years, we, were, we ended up back in India. But we went on uh, vacation once when I was young. And my grandfather's house was like an old style country home. It's literally on rice fields and fruit orchard um, is where he had his home after he retired as an engineer from the British Civil Service, actually. In southern India? In, in southern, southern India. India, yeah. And uh, specifically, it is um, on the border of Karnataka and Kerala in a small town called Bekal, which has now become like a tourist for spot for people who get off of cruise ships and you can see this beautiful fort and it but it was an old fishing village actually back in those days and uh, we loved going there because it was we we grew up in cities everywhere we lived was in cities and to be out in the country like that and you know when you're young and you can walk through fruit orchards and pick cashews from the tree and watch the the guy climb up the coconut trees with his yeah. bare hands and feet and have tender coconut i mean yeah. it was i mean i'm so Amazing. glad i had those memories and you know with me because i'm such an urban person uh, like growing a pot of collard greens now is like the greatest <laughs> achievement for me 
at the moment. <laughs> anyway, um, so that being said, when I went there, um, there was a harmonium in the house. And I had no idea that my grandfather could actually um, play music because I always knew him as an engineer. So I saw this harmonium and I said, I asked him, I said, um, can you show me how to play this? And I'd always wanted to play an instrument, but and piano was really what I wanted to play. But my father uh, moved around so much. And in those days, there weren't electric, electric, you know, electronic keyboards. keyboards so yeah. there was no way for me to practice. So what to do? So I ended up not learning piano. I learned a little guitar, but it really wasn't my instrument, you know. So I used to pull around on the harmonium and play the songs I learned in school. But then he said, OK, I will play if you sing along with me. So I said, sure. You know, I had no idea what he was going to do. So the my mother and my aunts were all summoned from the kitchen to come and sing with him. And I didn't know my mother knew this kind of prayer. You know, she never shared that with me. We spent so much time in the West. And my father was so concerned about giving us a good life in the West because he believed that, you know, as a woman, it would be easier for us, which in fact, at, at the time, probably it was. Now India has evolved and it's become easier. It's still difficult, but it's easier. And um, he started singing this bhajan to Ganesh. And it was Vinayaka, which I actually recorded on my first album. And it's at the end of the second disc. Mm. Um, and ev somehow I had the presence of mind when I was young, or it struck me so strongly that I actually recorded it on one of these little tape recorders where you have four buttons, which is basically, you know, record, play, rewind, stop, eject. And um, so I have that soundtrack for when we sang with him. And I used it in the beginning of the prayer. So... That was my first experience of chanting, and we actually had a satsang in the house. There was a big living room open on all sides because it's tropical India. And, um, and everybody from the village came and sat in front of this altar. The women were on one side, the men were on the other side, and everybody seemed to be able to lead a chant. It was amazing to me. And, and everybody could follow along. We didn't even use the harmonium for that, you know, just a cappella and clapping. This is the beauty of Kirtan. It's like you don't need anything. Yeah. You know, you just need to have the intention to do it. And I remember sitting there and just feeling the opening up into this presence, which who knew mm. what I didn't, couldn't think about it that way then. Now I realize what yeah. it was. So, but this was my experience with the chanting. What happened was I forgot all about it until as an adult, I started listening to Indian classical music and I started going to live concerts and listening on recordings and really having this feeling that something sacred was happening here. Something very sacred was happening here. Well, I remember and you then, telling me you went to a yoga class at your local gym. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. So yeah. the next thing that happened was that I, this was in the beginning of yoga for me, which was in the early 90s. And uh, the yoga teacher was playing, I think it was Kundalini music maybe, you know, because Sanatha Manal had been singing or Wa was singing. I don't even remember. And I started hearing this mantra music and I knew it was an Indian. I knew it was a Western person singing, but it just opened me up. But then I went to a retreat with my yoga teacher and she had invited Krishnadas to sing at this retreat. Mm. But I had no idea who Krishnadas was. 
And I just thought, okay, he's going to be this failed Indian musician. You know, I'm really not going to stay and, and listen to this. I had this attitude about it. And um, in walks Krishnadas wearing a black T-shirt and black sweatpants. He wasn't even wearing red. And um, <laughs> His signature color. Now he wears red. <laughs> and um, there was his drummer who walked in with his, you know, carpenter pants and his construction boots and a plastic drum on his shoulder, who's our dearest friend, Bobby. We love him. And I really thought, I said to my friend, I don't want to stay here. I'm going to sit in front to show some respect for my yoga teacher, but I want to then, I'll sit in, but I'm going to leave. He didn't say very much, but the only thing I remember before I sat down was on this table on the side was a little photograph of Hanuman with a mm -hmm. candle. Somebody had done that. And a photograph of Neem Karoli Baba as well. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who that was. It kind of struck me in a particular way. And maybe just give some context to who he is, because he, he's Krishna Das's guru. Yes, who yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know any of this at the time. And so we sat down and um, Krishna started singing and he started singing Sri Ram Jai Ram first. Mm. And when I heard those notes, I don't know what happened. Three hours later, I was in the front of the room and I was not wanting to miss one breath, one microtone of whatever was going on there. I really got so pulled in by the chanting. That's really what got me. It's like, that was the nectar, that was the juice. And um, over time, I, I discovered that, that he was then singing at Jiva Mukti on Monday nights. He was doing I remember that, satsang. I used to go to those. Did you yeah. go into those, yeah. yeah. And so when I met him in 1996, he had just put out his first album, One Track Heart. Mm. And that's when I heard the album in the car on the way home from the retreat. And I did not stop playing that cassette forever and ever. And I then I, and I immediately started going to the Monday night. And we became friends in the retreat. Like right away, we discovered we had something, some common thread. But we became friends and I realized that I wanted to chant with him as much as possible. And slowly, slowly, people, he got a lot of recognition. And we would do these weekend things out in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. And I became his driver and... Ultimately, because he didn't have a drummer, I learned a beat from one of his drummers who came and then left. And I would just do this one beat drumming for him, which is I still do sometimes when I have to fill in. But it's so much part of the whole chanting process. So I love how low key the whole thing is. <laughs> it's so low key. And during that time, while I started chanting with him at Jiva Mukti, is when I came home, I, I, I realized that. So those memories came back to me of what I had learned from my grandfather. And some of our friends would get together, people who I met when I chanted with Krishnas, and we would come together mm -hmm. in my house. And we had satsang at my house. And we would take turns leading. And I was always a drummer. And, and my friend Ambika, she said, Nina, why don't you sing some of the chants that your grand you said you learned from your grandfather? And it kind of came up. And then as I kept chanting, new things would come to me, mantras I wanted to chant. And I told Krishnadas about it and I said, you know, where can I get a harmonium? And he literally drove to my house sometime soon right after that and dropped off one of his old harmoniums. And so that's how I started kind of just practicing on my own at home. And and ultimately, so that's now back in 1997, 96 is when I met him. 98 was when I went to India to mm -hmm. 
to Kenchi and to be with Sidima and this whole thing kind of was happening sim- simultaneously. Yeah, because I wanted to ask you about Sidima because, and so that's your guru. So Sri Sidima, right, she's, uh, and she's she left her body last year, was it? She left actually, I know it seems so close, but it was actually December of 2017. Wow, wow. I had read that she was such an influence with your music as well. In a very subtle way. You know, she mm. never overtly said, yes, Nina, encourage me to sing or anything like that. But what she did tell me was to do practice. Mm. And so, and that was something she consistently told me and told others. And because I translated for her with Westerners, um, I, I know what she told everybody because uh, I was translating. And that was a big thing. Even with the Indians, she said, you know, anything they came and asked of her, she would say, go and ask Maharaji, go and sit in front of his his temple and chant Hanuman Chalisa and talk to him and tell him what you need. And so for us who went to the ashram and wanted to cook or do some kind of seva, the only seva she gave us, she said, go and chant the name. That's the best seva you can do. So I spent time in the room with the Kirtanwalas. There were these three men who would be singing all throughout the day, chanting Mahamantra and, you know, hearing the melodies. And they followed a lot of the ragas ritual, actually, because they were singing all day. So they split up their chanting of Mahamantras according to the the uh, correct raga for the time of day. Wow. Not that they taught us any of this stuff. We were just listening, you know, and chanting. But you're absorbing it in their presence. Yes. Um, but also Siddhima would have us chant Hanuman Chalisas in front of Maharaji's temple. And so... Fortunately, we already knew the Hanuman Chalisa to a certain extent, and then it just became second nature after a while, chanting it so much. And, and talk about this transmission with the Hanuman Chalisa, because this is something both you and Krishna Das uh, chant on both on your albums and on all the time. And as you said, it's second nature, and it, it, we play it in our house. My husband feels a connection with Hanuman, and so I'd love for you to share what is his significance and, and the like, not so the meaning, because there's the transmission that you receive from listening and absorbing the, this uh, Hanuman Chalisa. Well, I don't know how the transmission works. What I do know is that Neem Karoli Baba said that every syllable or every sound, every shabd is the word that he used, is mahamantra, which means that if you chant it, it has the ability to transform you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. The The... The being that is described in the, it's an invocational prayer. It's a prayer that is calling out to Hanuman to remind him of his strengths and his powers. In the whole story of the Ramayana, we see him as actually a superpower being. He can fly and touch the sun. He can dive down into oceans. He can carry mountains. He can do all kinds of things. And in the Ramayana, he actually is cursed to forget his powers because he creates a lot of trouble as a child when not knowing how best to use them. And at a, a very important moment in the Ramayana when he must jump over the ocean to find Sita, who's been separated from Ram, and his duty, because he's always in full service to Sri Ram, is to find Sita. He is reminded by one of the other Vanaras who is Jambavan of these qualities that he has. So seemingly, we are repeating the Hanuman Chalisa to remind Hanuman, but Hanuman doesn't really need to be reminded anymore. 
he is just a reflection of our true being. Mm. And he is our connection to Ram because he's fully surrendered to Sri Ram. If we can invoke his qualities, he transmits to us that flow. Krishna calls it the flow of grace to Sri Ram. And Hanuman is the son of the wind and is considered prana himself, life force. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, I don't know how to explain how it transmits what it transmits. Yeah. But because it's Mahamantra, because it's prayer, it has the ability, the very first verse of the Hanuman Chali says, Shri Guru Charana Sarojaraja Nijamanamakurusudari. So basically we're saying we bow at the feet of the Guru and we take the pollen-like dust from the feet of the Guru to clear the dust of the mirror of our hearts mm. to reflect our true nature. That's the very first, that's not even the first verse, that's the introduction to the Hanuman Chalisa. You know, it's beautiful. And yesterday I coincidentally had a lesson with my teacher who is a 27th generation Nepali shaman. And we, the lesson was about Vayu, about air. Mm. And I'm not going to go into the whole lesson because it was almost two hours, but (laughs) one of the things we talked about was Hanuman and Mm -hmm. how the Vayu being the carrier, because by nature, how it flows, the air, the wind, and Hanuman embodying these characteristics is the messenger. And so when in the shamanic practice, we invoke those qualities, we are essentially receiving messages that we can that we receive for ourselves to move forward, but also to help others through mm. the, the the healing work of of um, of the shamanic practice. Sure. So so it was quite beautiful and really really lovely, and there are other things in there too. But I think that was it was great. It was a good reminder that you had just said, and it was only yesterday that he had told that to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I so, think it's very helpful to think about breath. You know, and he's often referred to as the breath of God. Hanuman. Mm. And um, if we think about breath and our in-breath and out-breath, what, do, what, what is that made up of? Is the in-breath and out-breath of every other being. And so if we can connect to the breath or connect to Hanuman, we can connect with all beings. I mean, you don't have yes. to think about it that way, but if you can reflect on it that way, it's helpful to understand how this transmission might work. Well, I think that's a beautiful point for, you know, this is a spiritual practice and this is something that we can apply to modern living with what's happening today, understanding that this practice of kirtan and this simple chant uh, to Hanuman can really allow us to, to sit in this place in our heart center where we can perhaps share our feelings or have compassion and empathy for what's happening in the world and understand mm-hmm. a little bit um, not easier because it's never easy to understand what another person is experiencing when you're not in that person's skin or in their body, but at least have the compassion to perhaps go deeper to try to understand what is happening, you know, and how we can connect and support that mm-hmm. person or people or what in the times we're living in right now. I know. I think it, it's a, I'm an amazing practice to have that. And if that's accessible to everybody, you know, we had said earlier um, when we were talking a few days ago um, about sacred music and 
you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, Southern gospel songs and traditional hymns and things like this. Those are other ways that people can can connect. You don't have to be into Hindu music. You don't have to be, you know, into bhakti or uh, into mantra to practice. You know, where this is a conversation we're having around these traditions, which are so beautiful and we're both into them. But there's other ways people can also en- mm-hmm. enjoy them. But, I mean, I, I would love for you to continue to tell to talk about um, this is a divine practice of bhakti. And also to talk firstly... I didn't ask you, share your definition of bhakti. Bhakti literally means um, devotional love. And the next question that arises is, what are we devoted to? Because devotion implies two. And it's an interesting question to think about because while, you know, there are many spiritual practitioners will say, well, I'm a devotee of Ram or I'm a devotee of Krishna and all these lineages are created, you know, mm. it's fine. It's good. It's good to have a structure in which you work because they say that when you do a practice, it's good to stay with one or whatever your choices of your practice and stay with it um, as a channel, as a permanent channel that takes you from here to there and and to here, because <laughs> that's what practice is all about, about being here. And many people have said to me, you must be a Hanuman Bhakta because you, you know, you chant the Hanuman Chalisa. Yes. Um, but I also love to chant prayers to the goddess. And I love chanting. I love going to Krishna temples. I love Shiva Puja, mm. all of it. But I see all these beings or all these names are just describing the same place the place where love, compassion, peace, all stay in in that one place and of which we are a part and which connect us. You know, we just feel so separate from all of it. So the way that we can connect, just as the way we have a million thoughts, we have a million different ways to connect. And maybe at one time something works better than another. I don't know. Um, But at least it's there for us. The practices are the ways to find your way back to that place. That's a beautiful definition. I'd love for you to just can talk more about this experience of call and response and what happens when you you guys are chanting and then you have the, I don't want to say the audience, but the participants are then responding to this too. And it can go on for hours and hours. And some of the chants are quite long. They're not, you know, it's not like a three and a half minute song like we're used to with a Western mm-hmm. song. It's, you know, it there is a reverberation that takes place and we really feel it on another level. Something happens when people come together to do practice. And there's actually a verse in the Ram Charit Manas, which is the Tulsidas's version of the Ramayan. It's not even a verse, it's a whole chapter where before he even tells the story of Hanuman and Ram and Sita, he is praising the satsang, the coming together of people to do practice. Mm-hmm. And he says that when we chant the divine names or we tell the stories of great beings, the gods come to listen. Mm. So there is a power in coming together to do any practice. You mentioned gospel uh, singing before. Way before I ever heard any chanting of in the Indian tradition, I went to a Catholic school because we lived abroad. So we, when I lived in Thailand, I went to Catholic school and Everybody else in the class was able to go to mass. There was actually a chapel on the school premises. 
And I remember looking into the chapel and finding, first of all, the cathedral, the chapel ceilings was, felt so peaceful to me. There's a reason why they're built the way they are. And the fact that everybody was facing in this one direction and there were hymn books. And when mm -hmm. I heard those hymns to Jesus, my mind was blown. And all I wanted to do was sing them. I didn't know anything about Jesus. But I asked for an exemption because because I'm not Catholic, they wouldn't allow me to go to mass. I had to go to something called a moral science class where they were teaching us some kind of values. I don't know what. And it was so boring. And um, I asked, like, could I go to mass instead? I wouldn't take communion. I you know, understood that I'm not Catholic mm -hmm. and, and so on. And I wouldn't go into the confession booths or yeah. whatever those, you know, and I said, but I just want to sit and, and sing. So that was, it really had an impression. So it, I felt that. And it's still like that to this day in New York. Yeah. It's interesting because I also yeah. went to a Catholic girls school growing up. I'm not Catholic either. And I also was not allowed to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We weren't allowed anybody. There was myself, my really good friend who's Persian, who I've known since the third grade, uh -huh. and then another, another friend. And the three of us, we weren't allowed, allowed to go in. <laughs> we, we had hymn days. And um, they were really beautiful. I, and yeah. because my school is from the Sacre Coeur order, the school I went to growing up, um, we often sung them in French, actually. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I didn't even know what, what it meant because there was no translation for English, but it felt really powerful and really yeah. amazing. And we, everybody would get into it. I mean, really, right. everybody would get into it. And right. because of this, as you said, the, dis the description of the cathedral, we yeah. had a church also, a cathedral on, on the school premises. Um, and so the sound carries, it vibrates yeah. and it reverberates throughout really beautifully. But um, yeah, it was, and, and I don't consider my, I don't connect to um, the, the, that religion per se, but I definitely connected to the hymns that we would sing. Right. As a girl. So that's, so this, I'll go back to the question that you asked me. You, you mentioned that when you were singing there, what you were singing didn't even have a direct translation that you could understand. Yeah. So when we're doing kirtan, same way, we're chanting these names of divine beings, whether we're chanting to the goddess or the names of Krishna or different names of Vishnu or Shiva, mm -hmm. whatever it is. People ask me all the time, what do they mean? Now, there are some incredible stories that go along to support mm -hmm. and the foundation of these names. Or maybe the stories came later. I don't know which transmission came first. Like, was it the names, the sound itself, or the stories that I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but they are traditional. They're ancient. They've been around for many thousands of years. And because they work for people, they continue to be um, repeated. Mm. And, and I think that that's the reason why that, you know, when people started to hear Krishna, like, even though they'd never heard these names before they don't know what they mean they're called to it in the west mm -hmm. and that's the reason why we have to keep repeating we repeat and repeat until our minds are able to at least let go of the thoughts and we can arrive in this place yeah. together as we arrive in this place together there is a, a swell it really, the, the word that keeps coming to my mind is the swell of of presence it's not even, I don't, I don't want to necessarily call it bliss or any of those kind of words. It's, it's presence. It's this feeling of 
Sometimes it can feel like love. Sometimes it can feel ecstatic. Sometimes it can feel very sad. I mean, everybody's having their own yeah. experience as they need to at the time. Yeah. But we're getting here, like right here. Yeah. And that's a healing it, that takes place for what, whatever that means for you, uh, for whatever is happening in your life. Yeah. So I, and I know that, um, well, I remember on, on New Year's Day when, when you and Krishna Das were performing at Tibet House in New York City, um, not just for New Year's Day, but the passing in honor of Ram Das. And it was 12 hours, right? And, and it was a yeah. 12 hour chant, uh, Hanuman Chalisa. And you had also passed around the, 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 the words in English for the mantra were on paper for people to look at. But it's you could see that some people might have been there for hours, some only came for 30 minutes, but you could see in the room, which was packed, the um, experiences that were ebbing and flowing, as you just described. Some people were crying and in tears. Some people were in joy and smiling and having this beautiful, loving experience. Uh, for him, but for also experience themselves and the oneness with everybody in the room. There was this beautiful unity, and uh, you know, and it was it was amazing just to to be there and feel all of that oneness with everybody. I think that's I mean that's the whole path actually is fully understanding who we are, because the great beings say that our true nature is love itself. Yes, and it's not a matter of giving or receiving love. We are that. But we can tell from our daily lives that we don't really know that because we have all kinds of issues with emotions that pull us here and there. We have reactionary behavior. We have insecurities. We have anger, jealousy, all kinds of things. And if, you know, if we all, if we could understand that we are just love, none of these things in the world would be happening as they're happening right now. Yeah, we're the creation of all that's happening, all the disturbances as well. Yeah. But the good news is that we have the ability to change that if we really try. Yeah. And does it is this something that comes up when you're leading retreats? And as you've been doing things online, has this come up as a way to to help people um, that might be struggling or have questions that are coming up? All the the racism that that that's being brought up to the surface, but with all people that have been dying and all the COVID stuff and how we've all been in this very unique way of being for 2020. There are all kinds of questions, and there are different ways you can go with it, but ultimately. All these practices are heart-opening practices, not only to find out who we are, because when we find out who we are, we can see everybody else's soul nature, you know, their innate nature. If we can see that, then perhaps we can be with each other in a different way. But even to just hold what's going on, like try reading more than one headline in the newspaper. One is enough to, to bring you to tears. Yeah, And there's so much happening. You don't even have to read the paper. Just look around at your family. Look around at your extended friend circle. Everybody is going through so much. And if we want to be there to witness in a loving way, uh, in a way that's helpful, I find that if we can enter into practice together, but not only together, we should each have our own practice that we do by ourselves. They're fortifying practices. They're heart opening and they're fortifying. They help us get the strength to get through each moment in the day. I really believe this. And 
even when things feel good, if you do your practice, you're putting merit in the bank mm. for what could happen in the future. That we have no way, because sometimes when the stuff goes wrong, we don't have the ability to do practice anymore. It becomes impossible to sit still to do the practice. But we can benefit from what we've done in the past. Yes. And of course, there are ways to gather also for a specific purpose. So, for example, when we do our January 1st Hanuman Chalisas for 12 hours, I ask everybody to bring whatever they want to bring to that meeting in that day, whether you want to honor somebody who might have passed, somebody who you're grieving for, or you have some tremendous health issue that you are, that's challenging you right now. Or you just want to hang out. doesn't matter. Just bring it all, whatever that is for you at that moment, to the practice. And Siddhima said the same thing to us also. She said, you know, whatever is going on in your life, and this is the way she would word it, she would say, take it to Maharaji. You're angry? Go and shout at his feet. You want to cry? Go and cry. Because she never took any credit for herself ever. Everything was happening because of Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba, who was her guru. And in fact, in the way I see it, was fully, fully fused with him. I don't see them as two different beings. Was Siddhima an inspiration at all for Antarayami, and, which I love. I, when I first downloaded that, and I also have both of your albums on CD as well as downloads, I mm -hmm. think I listened to it in my car um, for almost a year consistently. So Antarayami came about because I was singing live um, a lot um, after people heard Flow of Grace, uh, my recording on KD's Flow of Grace. Um, I was asked to, to chant in yoga studios locally. And as I kept singing these chants over and over again, people said, well, why don't you um, have a recording, you know? So I said, oh, that's a concept. I, you know, here I was like, I've been helping KD make recordings for so many years, right, since his second album, um, Live on Earth. It never occurred to me that I should record an album, ever, because I'm not a musician, I told you this. And, um, <laughs> you can keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and so ultimately, I, I, was, I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it, but my uh, daughter's father said that he would record and produce it for me. So I thought, you know, something simple will make a simple album. But then also people said, you know, you sing so many different melodies of the Hanuman Chalisa, can you record them? So I thought, all right, I'll make a double album. The second one will be different melodies of the Hanuman Chalisa so people can have a practice. That's how it happened. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, you asked me, was Siddhi my inspiration for making the album? She never asked me to record or do anything of that sort, ever. But um, ultimately, the, I, at the title track, which is called Antaryami, came towards the end of the recording process. I had already decided what I wanted to name the album, which is Antaryami, which means knower of all hearts. Mm. And I see Siddhima as that. So in that sense, yes, she was the inspiration for the album. But the title track came in my sleep, you know, and I, I came to me and I literally picked up my phone and recorded the melodies, lest I should forget it. And the next morning it came with that phrase, you know, um, Jai Ma, Jai Guru Maharani, Guru Antaryami. It came like that. Mm. And so that's how the album um, came about. And that was it's, 2000. It's beautiful. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, that was you. 2013. Yeah, I I didn't know you then, but I um, I had discovered that just um, I think on on iTunes maybe, and downloaded it. Somehow I was able to get a CD as well. I maybe think I gave, gave it me to you. CD, yes, when I when yeah. I when I yes, and because uh, I would I remember putting that actually in keeping it in my car and inserting that into my car um, to listen to. So now, is there anything you'd love to to add? The couple of things, and one of the things I mentioned before which is that bhakti yoga is actually a practice. And it's a practice where you are remembering the attributes and the names of the divine who live within us. And the, the beauty of this practice is that there's so many ways to enter from. And there's an infinite number of teachings that you can learn from. I mean, I'm sitting here with this beautiful backdrop of the Medicine Buddha at Menla. It's from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. But as I've gone further and further into this, this devotional practice of studying about or reading about great beings, they could be saints that came in the body like Nimkaruli Baba or Siddhima, who there's nothing written about, but I was able to be with, or you want to read about Ramakrishna, or you want to read about Sri Sharda Devi, his, his wife, who mm. was considered a saint herself and his um, feminine, his consort, I should say, because they didn't live as a husband and wife in the traditional sense. Or you want to read in ancient texts about Ram or Krishna or do the prayers from the goddess, uh, text of the Chandipat or the Durga, anything, you know, whatever mm. you do, do what makes you feel like you want to do more. Because if you don't enjoy your practice, and this doesn't mm. mean that you can enjoy it every day. I mean, there are days when I do my practice where it's hard, you know, you, your mind is being pulled in all kinds of directions. You've got work to do, you have a to-do list, you, have, you know, your children are calling you. There's all kinds of things happening all the time. But if you even dip your toe into this ocean of devotion and you try a few things, even if you're listening in your car, so many people hear about chanting because they turned on Sirius XM radio in their rental car and they happened to find Krishnadas Yoga radio and they heard chanting. We get emails all the time about this. Mm. What is this? We were pulled. So that is the nectar. Like that's calling to you already. Follow that. Follow that. Follow your heart to the place where it feels like it can be at ease mm. or that it feels like it's being opened. And then the practices will come to you. You don't need to have a guru to tell you what to do. Follow that lead and explore. Explore, because there's so much out there. Now it's easy. We've got the internet, there's YouTube, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Go for it. I, I, I once was in the New York subway and um, there was a billboard that was um, put up there by some lawyers. And it was a, a way in which to, for you to learn, figure out how to create your own law firm. And the, the words on the billboard said, own your practice. <laughs> so I saw that and I said, yes, own your practice. Do your practice. So I actually literally took a picture of that billboard and repurposed it and made yeah. a meme, meme out of it. And I was like, this, this is like, this is, this is how you set your intention for yourself. Mm -hmm. Find your practice and do it. Even if it's five minutes a day, 
Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Nina. And if you want to find Nina's music online and learn more about where she will be performing or what events she will be leading in Kirtan she'll be hosting, you can go to ninaraochant.com and that is spelled N-I-N-A-R-A-O-C-H-A-N-T.com. Ninaraochant.com. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Have a beautiful day. Me too.